to another edition of the Standard Room Only Podcast. Yes, I'm your host, Ben Standing, and I cover the Washington football team for The Athletic, which means I'm on COVID watch because every day since Saturday, today is Thursday, that's kind of a lot of days, somebody from the Washington football team has been placed on the team's COVID list. Three more today, uh, safety Cam Curl, center Keith Ishmael, center Tyler Larson, jumping the team's total to a staggering 21. That is a huge amount and obviously uh, could have a massive effect on Sunday's game uh, against the Philadelphia Eagles. I say could. Obviously, it will. So, uh, much to discuss there. I'll give you the latest as I know it. Uh, Today, the team did have a practice. I'll let you know about that. As far as the guest goes, a fun one. Sheila Capadia, one of our national NFL writers with The Athletic, we did talk a little bit about this game. Shield also uh, helps cover the Philadelphia Eagles. So we got a little bit into that, kind of what the Eagles have been up to, his thoughts on Washington. And we had a, a broad conversation as well about about the league. Uh, Shield covers the whole league, so I asked uh, thoughts on Super Bowl uh, champions. We talked about um, Urban Meyer getting let go by Jacksonville and how much not just that Washington avoided a landmine there, if they were ever really considering him, as we all kind of wondered in 2019, but how maybe it's a way of looking at Urban Meyer to appreciate what Ron Rivera has brought to Washington. A fun conversation. Uh, we'll get all into all that in just a few moments. Uh, but of course, quick reminder, you can, of course, subscribe to The Athletic, see everything we've got going on there. Subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Spotify, uh, or you can listen on the Athletic app or anywhere else you do your podcasting. Follow me on Twitter at Ben Standing. I'm sure there's other things to discuss, but we might, we'll, we'll get right into it with regards to Washington situation. As I said, uh, yesterday the number was 18. Meant the Washington's COVID list could vote. Now it's up to 21. That means it can drink. I'm sure Ron Rivera wouldn't mind having a glass of something right now because obviously it's going to be very challenging for Washington in what is a very pivotal game, uh, currently the at six and seven, they're holding the seventh seed in the NFC in the NFC playoff picture. But Philadelphia is also six and seven, so with the loss, they would drop out. But it's almost hard to even the game is important, of course. But there is so much else going on here now. Uh, this afternoon, since Sheila and I talked earlier today, the NFL has updated its COVID protocols. Complicated situation, but by and large, they have now made it such that it's a little bit easier for asymptomatic vaccinated players to come back. The current rule has been players have to test negative twice over a 24-hour period. The rules are a little bit looser now, including, I believe, two tests within one 24-hour period, um, rather than on the alternating of, you know, over the course of, you know, two days, essentially. Um, all that said, it doesn't sound like the the the, the more lax rules. It's not lax like they're being reckless, but just lax like trying to be more realistic. I guess the few things may not though really impact Washington this week. Ultimately, it may just come down to do players test negative. Like, presumably, that's what happened with Daryl Roberts that allowed him to come back earlier this week. Um, as of now, we don't know of anybody else. I'm talking to you on Thursday night, so we'll see. Tomorrow is obviously a big day. Saturday as well. See if Washington can get anybody back. As of now, they only have 40 players on the roster. Today, they added defensive tackle Hakeem Spence. He's a veteran player in the league. 
Um, they'll bring guys up from the practice squad. 48 is the number to have, so they don't need to have another, you know, to, they need to add a few more guys, obviously. Um, but we'll see. I, I wrote down, though, I kind of just was wondering, in, in, as we're discussing what they're missing and, and and what their team might look like. Here's what I wrote down, um, what Washington's lineup looks like. Now, this is based on, as of Thursday, players on the COVID list, players who at least were a limited participant in practice. Doesn't mean they will practice, but I ruled out people like J.D. McKissick and Curtis Samuel, who neither one of them practiced today. Um, things along those lines. Here's what we're looking at. The offense looks fairly reasonable, okay? Taylor Heineke, a quarterback, yes, he is dealing with the knee and elbow soreness, but presumably he will be able to play. His backup is Kyle Shermer. Well, hopefully nobody will see him play. Just That's not a knock on him. It's just the reality of the situation. Running back, Antonio Gibson, plus you have Garrett Patterson and Jonathan Williams, so that's a reasonable group there, but you're Miss McKissick, of course. Wide receiver Terry McLaurin, some good news. He did do. He was a limited participant in practice today. Obviously, it's huge if he's able to go. So we'll put him on the positive list here. I meaning good list. Positive has a different connotation this week. I grant you. McLaurin, Adam Humphreys, DeAndre Carter, Deami Brown, Dax Milne, Cam Sims is missing. Seems like a reasonable group. Tight end, two guys: John Bates, Ricky Seals Jones. If they're able to play. You know, those two guys have been, you know, with all the time Logan Thomas is out, they were the ones at the top of the food chain anyway. So that's a reasonable thing. The offensive line. Sam Cosme was out there today practicing with the first team unit at right tackle. If if he is progressing nicely with his with his injury and is able to come back this week, then presumably he would be at right tackle. They still need to activate him off of IR, but I think he'll be it looks like it's trending in that way. We'll, we we did on Thursdays we don't get Ron Rivera. So we'll get a better feel probably tomorrow on that. But if he's able to go, the offensive line looks mostly normal. Charles Leno and Cosme at guard at tackles. Eric Flowers and Brandon Scherf at guard. The center, though, is where it's some fun, or I don't know if fun is the right word, but it would be not just the not just the fourth string center. It would be the fifth string center, John Toth, who is gotten some attention because he's also a male model. A brawny male model, a brawn male model, I believe is the way it was termed. Um, so John Toth uh, would be the, the that would be obviously the big concern. Uh, he's not played in an NFL game, I believe. So that would be that. But at least you have the other four. So the offense that's just sort of the basic starters and, and a couple of rotation guys. That is at least by and large a reasonable representation of the group that we normally see. The defense is obviously in a completely other story. The, the, the defensive ends, Shaka Tony and Bumi Rotini. Okay. Neither one of those guys were playing much at all prior to all this chaos. Uh, behind them would be Nate Orchard, who was signed this week. Defensive tackle, Deron Payne. We know him. Daniel Wise, he's been playing a little bit lately. He's been playing more end than tackle, but he has a tackle by trade. And they just signed literally today, Akeem Spence. Again, he's played over 100 NFL games, has not played this year. But he would be the other tackle. Just the fact that they would only have at the, at the moment six guys would probably bring up a couple guys off the practice squad. But obviously, you know whatever that means. Typically, Washington is rotating players in and out at the, at those spots. Probably have to go a little more Iron Man this week with some of the guys that, that can do that. Linebacker, you still have Cole Holcomb and Jamin Davis. Secondary, okay, uh, we've got some holes now here. 
cornerback, William Jackson, Danny Johnson, and I guess Daryl Roberts would be the other outside guy with Johnson in the slot. At safety, you've got Landon Collins, you've got Bobby McCain, DeShazer Everett, and let's just, I'll mention Jeremy, Jeremy Reeves, who's uh, able to come up from the practice squad. That's what you're looking at for the secondary. So obviously... You're missing a, you're missing guys on the defensive line and the secondary. No Kendall Fuller, no Cam Curl. Obviously, the top four defensive ends are out, plus Jonathan Allen. So, huge misses all over the defense. And a reminder, Philadelphia has the number one rush defense in the league, or rush offense in the league. So, uh, there's a lot going on there. So, you know, on ultimately for this game, it's going to come down to, well, can Washington even field a competitive roster? But if we're just talking about game planning, you know, can Washington get back to running the ball like it did um, during the winning streak? And if it can, if it can control the clock at all, I would go a long way towards shortening the game, keeping its defense fresh because they're going to need it considering how thin they are and hope for the best from 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 there. That's kind of what they're looking at. Um, as Sheila and I did talk about the quarterback situation on Philadelphia side, Jalen Hurts. Have, has been limited in practice. He was again today. Could be Jalen Hurts. Could be Gardner Minshew at quarterback. Uh, so we'll see about that. But that's only sort of just the conventional football part. What Washington is dealing with is anything but conventional, and that's what makes it such a bizarre uh, c- circumstance. So, so that's where things stand there. I will just make one more note. Well, actually, we'll just leave it at that. As I mentioned, Curtis Samuel. Did not practice again today. He's now got a hamstring injury on top of a groin injury. It's a it's a wacky one. Um, hope for the best there. So so that's it. The roster is you know kind of a mess. What we can hope for Washington's sake is that sometime between now and Saturday afternoon, about four o'clock, they are able to get a couple guys off of the the COVID list. No guarantees that happens. That's just the hope at this point. Beyond that, they'll bring some more players up from the practice squad to fill things out. And hope for the best. Hey, and as a quick reminder, uh, if you missed it this week, I had a fun conversation with Grant Paulson from 106.7 The Fan right after Washington uh, lost to Dallas. Kind of just sort of the state of the team. Uh, Taylor Heineke, uh, Curtis Samuel, a bunch more there. Then later in the week, I spoke with Jordan Reed, ESPN NFL draft analyst. Yeah, we talked about the quarterbacks. We talked about a bunch of other positions and prospects to keep an eye on as we start bowl week or the bowl season, I should say. Uh, always a fun fun chat there talking NFL draft with Jordan Reed is an interesting young guy. And then Matt Parrish from the Washington Times and I discussed this COVID outbreak and kind of what we can expect from Washington at this point. Um, all right. So that is... Uh, that's my thoughts on that. Let's get to my conversation, a fun one with Shield Kapadia. All right, joining the podcast as promised. He's one of our uh, national writers. I guess he's probably a senior writer, right? I didn't look that up, but I'm sure he's a senior writer. He, yeah, he, yeah. He, he covers <laughs> all things NFL. He does our he does uh, picks on the site. He talks broad topics like the MVP race, and he does a lot of coverage uh, with our uh, with our Philadelphia Eagles team. He is the great Shield Kapadia at S-H-E-I-L-K-A-P-A-D-I-A on Twitter. Great follow. Shield, how are you? Doing well. Thanks for having me. I, we, I was just commenting, you've got a, a Dream Team poster behind you, the original <laughs> one from the from the original team. I, I, you know, for obviously, for anybody who's younger, does like not appreciate it because there were, in theory, other iterations of the Dream Team. I don't think it's impossible. I think it's impossible 
to grasp how massive it was that i mean that was like when people talk about the avengers this was the avengers in real life all these pieces that would never I mean you maybe they'd be together together on an all-star team and even then half of them are on the other side all together jordan uh bird barkley magic all these guys together is off the charts so just seeing that poster was just like oh my god that was when uh that that's when i had joy in my heart shield i that's when i yeah like yeah, that w- that was in my uh, in my bedroom as a kid. When you know, I'm sure as many of us and many of your listeners, when your sports fandom is being cultivated, you know, I don't know how I was probably nine years old uh, at that time, and yeah, it had never uh, never been seen before. That group of talent together in the Olympics. So I, you know, my my mom gave me a bag. She said, "Get the, you know, get this stuff out of my house." And I said, "Oh, this is kind of a cool poster. I'm gonna put this uh, put this in my uh, in my office." So thanks to them for saving it and not just throwing it out like fifty. 15 years ago did you was there one guy on that team for you that was that was your guy I mean Jordan was always you know I I I was a Michael Jordan obsessed kid like probably you know thousands millions uh elsewhere so uh he was the guy I was in Philadelphia so Charles Barkley certainly was a big uh, big fan of his so probably those two were the main ones yeah I mean I was a Georgetown guy growing up so Ewing was a big deal for me obviously um and and I always put Magic Johnson I was still sort of fight people if they to say that magic johnson's the greatest player ever not michael we don't have to do that here i was really hoping you'd say john stockton because i could see him clearly behind you i was hoping maybe you had like short shorts uh you know running around on the on the playgrounds yeah no maybe maybe some would accuse me of being a little bit dirty on like the third grade playground but uh it, it didn't continue throughout my basketball career all right so so we're gonna we're gonna get to philadelphia and washington i always try to have somebody on from from the athletic to talk about the upcoming game and look obviously this is an, at the moment an unconventional situation for washington we're talking thursday morning and uh, we'll, we'll see what washington's roster situation has looked like we've obviously talked about it a bunch of already in this week but we'll talk about it more as we go through but i wanted to take advantage of shield here to talk some national stuff overnight urban meyer got fired uh which is not surprising in the sense of by how things were going maybe the timing you don't always anticipate it happening in season and obviously we don't need to talk about the jacksonville jaguars too much here but i bring it up in part because there was a point where i think people thought urban meyer could come here because in the 2019 season he was in the he, well he showed up to one home game here he's in dan snyder's box i think uh on that at that time that Dwayne haskins his college quarterback was here Terry McLaurin is here. They were potentially going to be in position to get Chase Young, which obviously they did. So a lot of Ohio State stuff going on. There was the game he was here, myself and a couple other reporters sort of staked out the the lobby area, as it were, because we were waiting to see if Urban Meyer was coming out to know what was going on. He went out a back door. Thank God he didn't come here. There's enough happening here. Just this week alone, obviously the the outbreak, that's like a sort of a separate thing, but you know, the constant Dan Snyder of it all. I can't even comprehend bringing in Urban Meyer to this equation. What, what did you make of his brief and tumultuous run as an NFL head coach? I mean, that would have just been, you know, you're busy enough that that is not an easy beat, the Washington football team. But man, I can't imagine Urban Meyer and Daniel Snyder together, what kind of fireworks that would have produced. So uh, it was a disaster from the get go. I mean, I was just looking this morning. In an 11, in 11 month span, you had him hiring a disgraced strength coach and then letting him go. You had the Tim Tebow charade. You had hundreds and thousands of dollars of fines uh, for violating offseason 
practice rules. Uh, you know, you had, of course, not flying on the uh, team plane home after a Thursday night loss. And then the video that surfaced, I mean, getting asked questions in post game or during the week about stuff that happened in the game and him not knowing the number of snaps that a certain player played the NFL network report that he's telling his coaches that they're a bunch of losers. The Josh Lambeau interview that comes out yesterday where Urban Meyer literally kicked a kicker. I mean, Ben, this was 11 months. I mean, this is unprecedented to pack all of that into 11 months. So that's not to mention that the team went two and 11 and was a complete disaster. I mean, I remember a game in Seattle, they get called for 12 men on the field. And then the very next play, they have to call timeout because guess what? They still had 12 men on the field the next step. So this was a horribly coached team. It was a complete disaster. That Jaguars franchise has been a complete mess. They've won more than six games once in the last 11 years. You know, they were gifted this quarterback prospect and Trevor Lawrence, the job was, this was the ultimate don't screw it up situation. I mean, hire a competent, stable head coach, go forward. You've got the quarterback. That's the hardest part. They found a way to screw it up. So uh, we'll see what they do now, but man, what, what an 11 month run for Urban Meyer. Yeah. Off the charts. And, you know, you talk about all those details and it is often the little things that matter the most, because obviously we end up focusing on, you know, the, 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 the interception in a game or, or, or going for it on a fourth down. And these things are important, but like, it's the baseline that you, you set as your with your team from the beginning of your of your time through the practices through training camp all the way up that really sets the tone and I've, I've noticed I remember saying last year when Washington we really started to just come out of the gate struggling which you know you kind of expected they only won three games before Ron Rivera even came on board that the players really did seem to buy into what Ron Rivera was selling uh, the way they would, I was, he has, he's a lot of sayings that he, 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 that he, that he, that he likes to drop. I always joke. He's like, it's like he, he's pra- practicing his Ted talk with, with us all the time at his press conferences, but you hear the players repeating that they're listening to what he is saying. And that's always told me a lot. And you've seen that again this year too, even at, when they started two and six, you know, I didn't buy, I didn't get the sense that there were, there, that there was any fr- fractures from coach to the team. They just weren't winning and, and so on. And then obviously they've now rallied a bit. Obviously they're coming off a loss and th- they got some roster chaos. And, and that was something like, so for me, like I've been saying like around here, like Ron Rivera has raised the bar, not in terms of going to the Super Bowl, but in terms of competency, which is of course a sad mark that we even had to get to that, that, that we had to even focus on that. But obviously for the previous administration, in terms of the Bruce Allen of it all, they, they, there weren't as much focus, it seems, on these things. And that's what I think this Urban Meyer thing is a reminder of. When people want to get head coach, it isn't just about does he run a fancy offense. What's the discipline? What's the what's the tone he is setting for the organization? And obviously, Jackson was going to have to figure that out for themselves while figuring out how to get somebody who can help Trevor Lawrence. But I think that's like it's something I appreciated about Ron Rivera and this Urban Meyer mess has kind of reminded me of that. Yeah, no, it's a great point. We talk so much about X's and O's and who's the new Sean McVay. Like the baseline has to be sort of leadership, who can connect with players, who is going to uh, command respect. And I, I mean, these are grownups, you know, you, 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 you've covered them, you know them. I mean, these are, you know, some of them are young in their early twenties. Others are in their thirties. Like you have to treat them like men, like grownups, you know, you don't have some kind of stature here. A lot of them, uh, you know, many of them are going to be making more money than you. And so you have to take a uh, 
different approach. And so leadership above all else, can you build that culture where everyone's pulling in the same direction, where everyone believes in what you're saying? It's not always going to be great. There are always going to be issues between coaches and specific players, but you have to approach it uh, in a certain way. I mean, an NFL head coach is doing so many things. You're dealing with the front office staff, ownership, the media, players, you're trying to come up with game plans, your own staff, you know, you might have that. That's the most, really the most important part of being a head coach is can you hire a staff that is competent where you can delegate? And so you don't have to do everything. And so those are some of the things that sometimes get lost where we think, all right, you know, who's, who's the next great play caller, um, kind of the, the boy genius who can lead our team. You know, it's great if you find that, but that's not, you know, typically what you would be looking for. Yeah, for sure. Just out of curiosity, like, again, there's a lot of different variables. I'm just sort of throwing this at you. If I said you could pick any coach you wanted, obviously, like, Bill Belichick is arguably the greatest coach of all time. But, you know, that, that, that he's more – there's a lot going on there. Is there anybody that for you on sort of the normal level of coach, but, you know, that you would think, you know, what, taking in all the factors, all this – all setting the tone, the discipline, the, the focus on the little things, and – the ability to actually play on the field. Is there a coach for you that sort of checks as as many boxes as anyone else? Uh, I think, uh, you know, John Harbaugh was a name that came to mind when you mentioned that. I just think he's very open-minded. He's shown the ability to adapt, whether, you know, the way he plays, they're not afraid to try different things, building the whole thing around Lamar Jackson. They always play with kind of a toughness um, and an effort that I think I, I, an aggressive style defensively. Um, so I, I think he's somebody, uh, I don't know if he's underrated or not. You know, I think he gets plenty of praise, but I think he, he certainly is a head coach that would check a lot of those boxes. I think he is kind of underrated, to be honest. I mean, he, yeah. they had one, that, that Ray Lewis era was before him. His own brother is more famous, I think, on still some yeah. level than, than he <laughs> is. Um, and, you know, uh, to your point, because you also were writing about this in your, in your uh, column this week about like he, John Harbaugh has been in the news to a degree lately because of people, I guess, questioning some of his decisions. I didn't notice all of them. What I was doing, but I noticed the one a couple, about, was it two games ago? Or they're trailing twenty-four to fifteen. They get a touchdown, and he and he at some point the Ravens are going to have to get a two. He goes for the two initially rather than later. They don't get it, so now instead of trailing by seven, they're trailing by nine. And this is where we get the clip of the Phil Sims and everybody else on that CBS right. show just completely. Uh, I don't understand this. Why would you do this? It makes no sense, or whatever they were saying. And. The logic behind it is essentially, you know, you have to get it at some point. So by going for it earlier, you kind of therefore know going forward what you need to do uh, going for, going into the game. And so the fact that John Harbaugh is able to process things from that sort of analytical perspective while simultaneously always having his team play hard. He's got that the old school football mindset. It clearly right. appears that does seem like a pretty good marriage of the modern and the old school football. Exactly. Yeah, I think that's very well said. It's, you know, it has to be some type of mix. You have to be open minded. You know, I did a story on him and kind of that in game decision making a couple of years ago. And it's just, you know, he's not like a big math guy, a big analytics guy. He just wants to be able to make informed decisions that help his team win. I mean, that that's all it really comes down to. And so you combine the old school stuff with, you know, they're a, a blitz heavy defense and they want to play with toughness and aggressiveness. They're offensively trying this new offense 
offensive scheme with a, a you know, run first. Uh, I don't know, run first is the right word, but a, a run game that involves the quarterback heavily that, you know, a lot of NFL teams have not tried. And then, um, you know, combine some of those things with using analytical models to know when to go forward on fourth down, uh, when to punt, when to kick field goals, when to go for two. It's just a nice combination. It's just an openness to, um, you know, not poo-poo any aspect of that, which, you know, as you know, having been around uh, NFL head coaches, which you get a lot. So I think that's one thing to certainly appreciate about it. And to, just to tie it into to the local team, I've always said for my money, and this is some bias here because this was the team I rooted for growing up, I think Joe Gibbs is underrated as in the conversation of the best coach ever, in part because not just as we know, he won three Super Bowls with three different quarterbacks. He didn't have the one guy the whole time. But he, he, he adapted his system. He came in as this Eric Coriel guy, going to throw it. Then he recognized he has this running back in John Riggins. It's great. This offensive line he can, he can dominate with. He goes in that direction. Then later in his career, he switched it to going back to the, 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 the deep passes when he had Art Monk, Gary Clark, and so on. And it feels like John Harbaugh's done that. He won with Joe Flacco, a guy who's going to throw the ball downfield. And then he gets his completely opposite quarterback in Lamar Jackson and switches it. He doesn't try to do the round peg uh square wait square peg whatever brown peg square hole whatever that is <laughs> yeah, square, he, square peg, square peg round hole yeah. yeah um he doesn't do that so i appreciate the, the willingness to try and and to do not just say this is my system damn it and we're gonna do the thing and i appreciate that as a, a, a as a coach yeah uh, yeah every, every coach says i'm gonna build my scheme around the talent but how many of them are actually willing to do that you know so, th- so yeah. that's a great point and uh really a quality if i'm an owner that's something you want to look at well what has this person done in the past are they just trying to run their system everywhere they go regardless of who the talent is or have they shown the ability to hey you know these are my strengths these are my weaknesses how am i going to build it you know bill belichick is a great example the way he's coaching his team now is much different than when he had tom brady and randy moss there so it's a really important quality Absolutely. Um, all right, so go, you can go. I, I was going to uh, uh, mention the MVP race because she wrote about this, but I, I won't step on that and go, go read his column up on the athletic. He talked about uh, if, if in fact, Tom Brady kind of really is going to run with it, or if there's a, a contender or, or two out there, I, I, I urge everybody to go check out that. I will ask you one more broad league question. Pretty simple one. Who's going to win the Super Bowl? Oh I say gosh. that sort of jokingly because like <laughs> yeah. the top of the league, I do the power, you know, I, I uh, do participate in our power rankings for the athletic every week. And, you know, oh, man, like when we get like, it, I think the first part of the year, like it was a matter of, okay, I got like 15 teams I kind of like, and I got to figure out where to slot them. Now I'm like, I don't know. There's like three or four teams I think are pretty good. I, and then yeah. I don't even know, like I basically Tampa Bay, Green Bay, uh, <laughs> New England, I guess now is kind of coming right. out of nowhere. I don't know. Based on where you're at right now, if I tell you who's in the Super Bowl, I have very lot of variables, including the COVID situation. But but that aside, what's your what's your sense right now? Yeah, it, it does feel way more wide open than a typical year. You know, usually if we're talking uh, at this time in December, we have a good sense of who the favorites are. And, you know, maybe there could be some upsets, but you're not really expecting them. I mean, I think the AFC specifically is just wide open. You know, the Patriots might get the one seed. No one should rule the Chiefs out, of course. Uh, the Bills, we'll see with Josh Allen's uh, injury. Maybe there's a sleeper there. Uh, if I had to pick a team right now and you said, hey, Sheila, you have to put your, your dream 
dream team poster on the line. You know, you, you, you get five, you get five more posters uh, if you get it right, but you got to give that up if they lose. I think Tampa is probably the most complete team. I know that's kind of chalk and you're going with the defending champ, but I just like to look at, you know, which teams are healthy. First of all, which teams can win in a variety of ways and their run game is really good this year. We know what they can do in the passing game. They've got so many weapons. They've got one of the best offensive lines in the NFL uh, defensively. It hasn't been as good as last year, but I think they're actually getting healthy there. And I still kind of trust the veterans on that defense and I trust the coaching staff. And so uh, I would say the bucks are the most complete team. And if I had to pick one team right now that I said, this is the, the team most likely to win the Super Bowl, I would go with Tampa. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, I just, I just been struggling to buy into Arizona and not because whatever just happened the other night was with against the Rams The Rams were probably neat. Their backs were kind of up against the wall a little bit. They needed to come out and play a little bit better game. And they clearly did. And, um, and all that, I just don't, you know, uh, in general, like I you seem to see it in the bigger games, Arizona's kind of gone from way off the radar to wait, are they a contender already? So I'm not ready for them. Uh, the Rams thing has kind of gone all over the place with the greatest team of all time. People are saying now that Matthew Stafford can't play quarterback, but apparently now, <laughs> You know, he's back to being, you know, really good again. Um, but Tampa Bay, Green Bay, those teams to be the staples. I, you know, I just saw Dallas here last week against Washington. And, you know, they clearly have a lot of talent. Micah Parsons, oh, my Lord. Uh, yeah. that, that That is insane. But, you know, the offense would look pretty inconsistent at this point. So we'll see. But, yeah, so it feels like it's Tampa, Green Bay, and part because of the quarterbacks. I mean, that's a pretty easy thing uh, there and with, with good reason. On the other side, uh, I mean – it, it, I buy Bill Belichick done, but you know, it is still a rookie quarterback. And, you know, when you get into some of these bigger spots, we'll see what happens. I mean, it's, it's it, in the history of football. It's not often a rookie quarterback, whatever the situation is, is taking a team to that step. But that said, I don't know where else I'm even going. Kansas city oddly has been better lately because their defense has been good, but yet they can't, yeah. they're not scoring Buffalo's all over the place. I saw them in week three, thought they looked as good as anybody. And now they're, really struggling. Tennessee has a big wins, but obviously, you know, they, they've been down since Derrick Henry went out. So what, what, what do you have a team over there that you would think that you, again, if you're going to put your poster up for stakes that you would, uh, yeah. you would go with. I think I would go with the chiefs right now as you know, it's crazy. Like you mentioned, their offense has not looked the same. You know, their teams are playing them very differently with, with two deep safety saying, move the ball down the field. We're going to count on you to make mistakes. And guess what? They've made a lot of mistakes. I think they lead the NFL in drops. Uh, they're turning the ball over on, I think over 16% of their possessions, which ranks 30th in the NFL. And so that strategy has really worked. Now, can they clean things up or in a one game playoff? Are you going to be able to count on that? I don't know, but their defense is really good and they're still healthy on offense. That's my thing. It's not like, you know, if Patrick Mahomes was battling a foot injury, or if you told me, Hey, Tyree kill or Travis Kelsey is out, then I would say, all right, it's not the same, but like, they've still got all the guys. They've still got the coaching. So I would put my faith in them to kind of figure it out here uh, down the stretch. And they have won a lot of games. You know, sometimes we treat them like they're a six and seven team and they're right there with anyone in the AFC. So uh, I hate to go chalk and predict the rematch from last year, but uh, you know, the, if I had to pick right now, it would be the Chiefs. I'm not ruling the Bills completely out. I know that sounds crazy with the way they've played. 
And I don't know about Josh Allen's foot injury. If, if that foot is okay, I still think they're a really good team that's kind of been hit with a lot of bad luck. I mean, if you look at their point differential, some of the uh, advanced stats with them, even you remember that Tennessee game where they have a fourth and one at the end and Josh Allen tries to sneak in and his foot slips and he doesn't get in. Like little stuff like that has not gone their way this season, but I'm not totally counting them out. I still think they're very, a very talented team. And the Patriots, Yes, rookie quarterback, but man, they've checked everybody. I mean, they've passed every test. They've won seven in a row. They lead the NFL in point differential. They have the best coach, so uh, they certainly could make a run. So those are some of the, the teams that stand out. If you want sort of a sleepery team, if I'm a, if I'm a team in the AFC with like a top uh, three or four seed and Justin Herbert's coming to my place, in the first round. And I've got to come up with a way to stop him in the first round. Like that would make me uh, a little bit nervous. The chargers are not a complete team. They've absolutely got holes on their roster, but they also have, you know, one of the most dangerous quarterbacks in the NFL. So that that's a team I'm kind of keeping my eye, eye on also. Yeah. I actually think there's two really interesting games this week in the NFL. Like obviously a regular season game does not de- definitively tell you much about what's going to happen, but chargers chiefs tonight, and then Colt Patriots this weekend. It's hard to really buy into the Colts when Carson Wentz is the quarterback, but I do just generally buy into their overall roster, and they've got some pluck to them. They, you know, they've, they've come back here, and uh, you know, I don't know, in a grinded out playoff game, if they can avoid turnovers, I don't know, maybe, maybe they would be a team I wouldn't really be excited about facing. Even though, again, I, I don't really buy Carson Wentz, and I agree with you, I, I would Justin Herbert to me would be a pretty scary uh, <laughs> proposition to to say. Uh, to say the least, um, you know, you mentioned analytics or uh, some advanced stats. I, I next time I have you on, I need to just for my own education, I need to give you have you just give me your five favorite advanced stats that you look at no matter what, because I think to me, oh, I'm always interested in in those types of things. Like what, there's a hundred stats, everybody can pull out right. of their, you know what all the time. I'm like, okay, you're gonna just find the stats that tells you what you want about how you're viewing this particular angle. But what are the ones that you go to, you know? Uh, I know it's not our property, but like a DVOA people point to, okay, seems like a reasonable way to look at something broadly, but I'm curious. Right. We, we can do that next time. I sure, don't absolutely. Um, let's talk about the game this weekend. Uh, as I mentioned, you've covered the Eagles. You, you do a lot of uh, stuff right now with our guys who do, who do cover the Eagles. Uh, this is not an easy game to just say, hey, well, let's just discuss this matchup because obviously I don't even know who's playing for Washington at this point. Right. As we're talking, it's Thursday morning, uh, uh, about 9.25 a.m., Washington's list of players on the COVID list is 18. It's almost the entire defensive line going up against a team that leads the NFL in rushing. I don't know. That seems like a bad, a bad scenario. Call me crazy. So I don't even know what to do from that. So we'll just focus more here on Philadelphia and we'll see what Washington delivers. I got to admit of all the teams in the NFL this year, I was probably most wrong going into the year about Philly. Um, I think they're over under a six and a half. I'm like, oh, I'll take the under on that one. I don't, I'm not buying Jalen Hurts. Still kind of don't. But and I, and I think maybe at that point with, with Sirianni, I was getting some Adam Gase vibes. I think I was wrong on that. Um, and so, I, I, yeah, I, clearly I was wrong. That's not to say Philly is a world beater, but they already have six wins and they, you know they've done some good things. What what I, I guess I can't say what did I get wrong because you don't know, but like what was the mis what was some maybe some misperception of them going into the year that they have been able to that was either wrong or something they've been able to overcome to put them in this position. 
Yeah, I mean, I think the big question was their offense. And, you know, you, you weren't wrong. There were big question marks about it. There still are big question marks about Jalen Hurts as a passer. But I, I think what we learned is, is sort of what we talked about earlier with coaching. Are you going to be able to adapt to your personnel or are you just going to put your scheme in place and say, all right, uh, let's move forward. And for the first six, seven weeks of the season, I was getting really, you know, bad vibes about the way they were approaching this. I mean, they were throwing the football all over the place with Jalen Hurts. They were not running the ball they were not using him as a runner and it really cost them they lost a game I forget what week it was in Las Vegas and I don't know what happened after that game but they totally shifted I mean it's rare to see a team totally shift what it is in the middle of the season but that's what they did and so now they are you know one of the most run heavy teams in the NFL and it's not just a traditional run game it includes Jalen Hurts all the time whether that's zone read whether that's designed quarterback runs for Jalen Hurts and so now all of a sudden that makes you a lot tougher to defend and they've got a really good offensive line and so uh, that's been the encouraging sign with Nick Sirianni and the coaching staff is that you know maybe it took too long but at some point they said Let, let's look at it and see how can we win these games and they did that with Jalen Hurts so if he's the quarterback and we don't know he's coming off an ankle injury he didn't play before the bye and you know he's splitting first team reps this week with Gardner Minshew but if it is Hurts that's kind of you know their bread and butter is hey we're gonna have a really a run game that's really hard to defend we're gonna lean on our offensive line and then we're gonna try to make some big plays downfield in the passing game it's not going to be like an efficient Drew Brees hey seven yards convert on third down accuracy type offense it's going to be let's hit on a couple big plays downfield let's let Jalen Hurts scramble on third down when he needs to and we'll sort of piece it together offensively but uh, you know statistically they've been a top 10 offense in terms of efficiency so I, I do think the coaching staff deserves credit for that because it's certainly not the most talented group and they absolutely have limitations in the passing game um obviously I think you're aware of this. The quarterback top conversation here, it's 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 constant throughout. I mean, Taylor Heineke's exceeded expectations, but you know, there's let's just say a concern. He might be ultimately his ceiling may not be that high, and they may have to figure out a long-term answer. Okay, I think we get that. Uh, but other than Dak Prescott in this division, all, all the teams kind of need or have questions at quarterback. And and I guess I wonder, are these last four games if Jalen Hurts plays this week? Uh, and potentially the playoffs or is this like sort of a final test for him to for Philadelphia to determine if he's the answer because they do have um what three first round picks this year I think they were all looking a little bit better earlier on but uh yeah. since then you know they've won my, Miami's won and so on um is it looking like that or am I, or my misreading is Jalen Hurts the guy and he just is a younger quarterback who's they're, they're they believe in and they're gonna just you know get, he just needs more time no, I don't think he is the guy. I mean, we'll see what happens here. It could certainly shape what they do. You know, if they reel off four straight wins and go to the playoffs or even win a playoff game, whatever, then obviously that's going to have an impact on what you do next year. But this offseason really for them was about accumulating draft capital and assets so that they would be in position to make a big move at quarterback this upcoming offseason. You mentioned it, three first-round picks. I mean, you have an opportunity, whether it's to use one of those on a quarterback, whether it's to trade up in the draft whether it's to trade for a veteran like they have the resources to go in a number of different directions history would tell us that they're going to be pretty aggressive about it you know 2016 Howie Roseman comes back into power as the GM and they make a big move to go up and get Carson Wentz it wasn't hey let's just sit on our hands and see what happens here so um, we'll see it all depends on whether the right guy becomes available whether they like one of these guys 
in the draft, or they say, you know what? Um, it, there's just not the guy this offseason. And so Jalen Hurts gives us a you know relatively high floor. Let's kick the can down the road. We'll give him another year. If he plays great, that's fine. If he doesn't, the following kind of like, you know, a little bit of like what Washington did, right? You know, some people expected on last offseason, are they going to make a big move? They go with Ryan Fitzpatrick. They say, we don't see it this year. We weren't able to get Matthew Stafford. We'll go with Fitzpatrick this year and figure it out next year. It could be a similar type situation for the Eagles. So maybe in that scenario, they trade back or for one or two of those first round picks and they accumulate draft capital for the following year. Now you can only do that for so long. You know, this isn't the process with the 76ers where you're doing that for, you know, three, four, five years. And so at some point you have to figure out the quarterback situation or if you have no chance of competing. We know that we've seen that year in and year out with very few exceptions. So I think those are probably some of the things that, uh, that they're weighing as we look to the final four games, the playoffs, and then what they do in the off season. Yeah, I mean, listening to you talk about that, it is the conversation we're all having here. Like Taylor right. Heineke has largely put himself in the CAD discussion of, okay, the free agent market's not that exciting right now, but based on what we know, and I don't know that Aaron Rodgers, even if he springs free, is going to want to come here. And this draft, like, you know, no, there's no Trevor Lawrence-type prospects. So what are we even looking at? Like in terms of next year, you know, somebody may develop, but in terms of next year, is, is it a situation where – Maybe they go with Taylor Heineke again, at least as sort of the stopgap starter, draft the rookie to, 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 to build around. But that's not overly exciting. And it sounds like Philly might be in the same boat. But I guess what I don't know is Washington still is a relatively young roster. It is not sort of a, a team where, like, say, if it was like the Rams, where they've gone all in, they need to win now, whatever. Right. Washington isn't like that. But on the other hand, Ron Rivera is going, would be going to his third year. And if they don't, if they have a struggle here to the end, would be third year having not had a winning season yet. So kind of maybe they do need to get going. What were the Eagles broadly with their roster? Do they actually, are they still in the, the truly developmental mode or is there any sort of urgency? I don't mean fans, but like, you know, some right. urgency to, to get going. They did just win a Super Bowl fairly recently. So I would hope some people give them, give them a little bit of time, but were they broadly on that level? Yeah, I mean, a lot of their best players are older players. You know, you think of Fletcher Cox and Jason Kelsey and Lane Johnson, Darius Slay. I mean, these guys are all 30 years old or older. So a lot of their best players are older. Now they have found some talented young players, Jordan Mailata, the left tackle. They found him, uh, Josh Sweat, the defensive end. They gave him an extension. Devontae Smith looks like a keeper, Dallas Goddard at tight end. So they're sort of in, you know, in that middle ground, I would not say they're loaded or they're, you know, really talented with young players by any stretch, but they're probably in better shape than if you would have asked me before the season. And some of these guys were more unknowns. Uh, They're in better shape than they were then. So I don't think they're, you know, this is why when we get into that, like I'm sure as you guys are having the Russell Wilson, as you just mentioned, Aaron Rodgers discussion. I mean, to me, the Eagles roster is not good enough to make a move like that and think that you're going to compete for a Super Bowl right away. So it all depends on how many years um, you think those quarterbacks have of being really good. But I still think they have quite a bit of work to do uh, on this roster. All right. So uh, I always end up in my head thinking I'm going to talk to a guest for a certain amount of time and then I go longer, especially if I enjoy talking to the guests as I do with you. So I'll just lastly ask you this, the Washington football team, current, although we can talk about it, I don't know if you have thoughts on what the league should do with regards to the to these outbreaks, there's been some talk in the last few days about, um, you know, allowing va- vaccinated players who are asymptomatic to come back sooner, get to that. Or if you have thoughts just on this team overall, you know, independent of this, what you've seen about them, anything that stands out to you, Heineke, the defense, Ron Rivera, whatever it is, 
any 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 Washington take you've got you've got in your head there that you want to uh, share with us. Yeah, no, I, I think they've just, you know, you came into the year and I thought their defense was going to be really good and it, you know, wasn't there for a while. I know uh, it's improved of late. So they've got the, I mean, it's just, to me, it just comes down to quarterback. Like you just mentioned, are you going to go into year three without really having found a solution? So I don't know if that means getting really aggressive and trading for somebody. I don't know if that means using draft capital. Uh, you know, Taylor Heineke has been, like you mentioned, he's exceeded expectations and he's been fine, but, you know, is he going? to be the guy for the long term that would really surprise me so I feel like they've got to come up with some sort of plan there uh, going forward this offseason to figure out what are we going to do at this position because otherwise you're sort of just treading water you're in that middle ground of the NFL where you typically don't want to be for multiple years in a row so that to me uh, is the big question mark around them I think they've got talent uh, defensively I think they can upgrade the supporting cast certainly around the quarterback offensively but to me like that's got to be number one on their priority list. I think I, th- I think you're uh, I think there's people who are listening who are nodding their head. Yes, so could, we, <laughs> could we solve that? It's only been I don't know 30 years since they've had <laughs> right. any long-term answer quarterback that wasn't just a two or three-year run of somebody. It would be nice at some point if they could figure it out. Taylor Heineke done a fine job, but we'll, I think they probably need a little bit more. Uh, Sheil, amazing as always. Definitely appreciate you and your uh, Dream Team poster hanging out with me for a little bit. Thanks so much. Go read Sheil. On The Athletic, I mean, you know, we talk about reasons to subscribe. Forget just me. You get him and everybody else on our football staff who does a great job. Sheila, I really appreciate it. Thanks so much. Thanks for having me, Ben. Appreciate it. All right. Many thanks to Sheila Capadia for his time. Thanks to everybody here for their time, uh, for checking out the podcast. And, uh, you know, again, if you missed any, uh, if you missed earlier episodes this week, Grant Paulson and I talked right after the loss to Dallas and then midweek, Matt Parrish in the Washington Times and I discussed sort of all the chaos going on here with the COVID situation. And then ESPN draft analyst Jordan Reed and I broke down um, some thoughts on the NFL draft. So make sure you check that out as well. Um, All right. But that is it for now. Ben Standing signing off. Until next time. See ya.